brown, long hair, blue eyes, and a white robe. Like a giant version of Jesus. A robe, brown hair, and legs, and arms, and a body, and a head. He had brown hair and a goatee and like this. Well, I don't know because I'm not the man. Kids say the darndest things. Uh, but what I love about when we ask kids questions is they answer so honestly. Um, of course you would say, well, I don't know what he looks like. I've never met him, right? The logic in there is impeccable. Um, but you know what? One of the interesting things about asking who God looks like and who he's like, it's, it's a universal question. Uh, certainly a question that our children are asking. But I bet all of us at some level, if you agree with the presumption that there is a God, you want to know who he's like. So as we've been grappling with questions in the Fearless Q series, of course, those are some of the kinds of questions that have come up, uh, and especially from our kids. I want to read you a few of these questions. Um, Like we just saw, uh, they asked, what does God look like? Are God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit actually one God or three separate beings? How is Jesus the same person as God if God is older? Great question. Did Jesus become God? How can God be three in one? Did he vacate heaven to come to earth as a baby? Great questions. Um, they're, they're kind of churchy questions, actually, if you think about it. And, uh, but I want to kind of take a step back and encompass all those questions with the one question, who is God? Who is God? And that's actually a universal question. That's, questions that, that's a question that's being asked by people, whether you're religious or not, um, if you're young or old, who is God is kind of a, a burning question for us. It's also a lot more of a challenging question than perhaps we might take on at first. Because if you, if you take, first of all, the assumption that God is, and then that God is creator, if he made everything that we see, then that means that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and it means that he was before our universe even existed. That he has to be above the universe. He has to be over and above it and outside of it, at least, to, be, to have created everything that we see. That's a big God. How do you wrap your mind around a God like that? How do you understand a God who is so big that he's bigger than the entire universe? It'd be like trying to count to infinity. I'll give you a few minutes to try that. Yeah, you can't do it, right? You, you could start now and never get to it by the time you leave this earth. And that's what it's, trying, it's like trying to wrap your brain around who God is because he's just that big. So you see, the, cha- the question is, it really is challenging. So where do we even begin? How do we begin to tackle this question? The only way that we can understand who God is is if he reveals himself to us. God has to reveal himself to us. Otherwise, we would just never understand him at all. A way to think about this is to think about how do we know what planet Earth looks like. Here we are, we're stuck on the surface of it. Uh, There's no way of getting a picture of the entire thing, right? 1946 is the first time we ever had a photograph of our planet. They shot a rocket up 60 miles into the sky, and they took pictures, and it came down and crashed, 
And literally, the scientists were jumping for joy when they got these pictures because we had no idea what Earth looked like from space. And that's the first picture ever taken of Earth from space. And then in 1972, Apollo 17, our astronauts were heading towards the moon. And as they were looking back, they took a picture of the Earth. This picture, you've probably seen it. It's one of the most well-known pictures ever taken. It's called the Blue Marble. And before we had pictures like this, we simply didn't know that that's what Earth looked like in space. We just did not know what it looked like. We take it for granted now that the Earth looks like a blue marble. But we didn't know. And it's very much like that with God. We need to step back. We need a satellite view of who God is. Otherwise, we just won't know unless he tells us. So where do we get that satellite view of God? Any Sunday school answers for us? How about the Bible, right? Yeah, so we begin with the Bible. Um, This is how God has revealed himself to us through his word. But more specifically, the Bible is a story with a hero. Who's the hero of the story? Jesus. Perfect. You can always, you never go wrong with that answer in church. But yes, Jesus is the hero of the story. And when we begin to ask the question of who is God, we begin with Jesus in Scripture. So let's do that. Reading John chapter 1 this morning. If you have a Bible, please join me in turning to John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Magisterial words about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Coming down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, now we pray that you would reveal yourself through the scriptures. That you would send your Holy Spirit to us who would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to understand you. To make yourself known through your Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to grasp you as much as we can. In your name we pray. Amen. So here we are in John chapter 1 and this this really majestic statement about who God is begins with Jesus. The Word is what, what John calls Jesus, the Word. And the Word has revealed God to us. The Word is God in the flesh for us. Now this is pretty amazing if you think about it. This is, this is something really wonderful for us. That if you've ever wondered, who is God like? The answer is Jesus. If you've ever wondered what he talks like, what he thinks like, you have only to read the stories of Jesus to get your answer. And what John says here is, is, is pretty profound. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, right? That's the problem that we are grappling with. You can't see God on your own. He's too big to grasp. But then he says the only God, referring to Jesus actually, who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. Jesus has made known to us who God is. The God who is impossible to grasp has been made graspable. It's been made 
so that we could even give him a hug. You know, one of the kids said in the video, I love this so much, he's like a giant version of Jesus. God is a giant version of Jesus. I don't think he was so wrong about that. I think he was really close to the mark. But God is, is really just a giant version of Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see God. So we begin there. But then if, if the Son reveals the Father, a lot of people ask, does that make the Son lesser than the Father? He's not the Father, he's the Son, right? Well, the answer in Scripture is no, absolutely not. Um, even in John chapter 1 here, he said that the Word was God. And that word was is a continuous sense to it. That not only was he God in the beginning, he was with God. Um, and he continues to be God. So as we read through scripture, when we see the reference to the Son and to the Father, the same thing that the Father is, so is the Son. So when we see that the Father creates, the Son creates too. When we see the Father referred to as God, we see the Son referred to as God. When we see the Father referred to as eternal, the Son is referred to as eternal. So everything the Father is, so is the Son. Jesus says later in John, I and the Father are one. So they are equal in their Godness. Okay? I'm just going to continue kind of drawing out for you what Scripture tells us about God. So we have the Father and the Son, and we also have the Holy Spirit. Right? So the scripture talks about the Holy Spirit. He's kind of behind the scenes in, a, in some respects. But he's there. And he's also referred to as a God. as God. He's a person. And I say he's a person specifically to say that he has feelings. He's not a force. But he has feelings. He talks. He acts. So the Holy Spirit is another person. And everything that the Father and the Son is, the Holy Spirit is too. So the Holy Spirit is part of creation and creating the Holy Spirit is referred to as God. The Holy Spirit is eternal. So now we have these three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, someone might say, okay, maybe a way to figure this out is that there are three kind of manifestations of God. That maybe uh, there's, he's kind of changing what he's like at certain times. So sometimes he's the Father, sometimes he's the Son, sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. But when we read Scripture, we realize, actually, he's all three at the same time. And we get that from the account of Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1. Listen in as I read the account of Jesus' baptism and try and listen for the three persons that we've just described. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came... From Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Did you hear it? Did you see him? So you have the Son, he's being baptized. And as he's being baptized, the Spirit comes, descends upon him, and a voice comes from heaven. From the Father, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. All three of these persons are here in this depiction. So they're not just God appearing in different ways. They are all three God at the same time. But then you have Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Probably you know this if, if you're familiar with Scripture at all. It's um, what the Jews call the Shema. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. And this is important, especially for the early Christians when they were grappling with this, the evidence of the Scripture. They didn't ever want to seem like they were like Romans or Greeks who had many, many gods. So they, didn't, they wouldn't ever say, God is, there's three gods. They just would not say that because of Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema. God is one. And so here we have all these pieces of Scripture. I'll recap them really quick for you. So we know that there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are all God. They are all equally God. And these three persons are equally God at the same time. But there is only one God. Clear as mud, right? What a conundrum. Well, the, when, what we get from this is, when we put it all together, is the doctrine of the Trinity. Simply put, one God in three persons. One God in three persons. And that word Trinity actually kind of helps us to understand this. It's, it's a tri-unity. One God in three persons. And the word Trinity is not in Scripture. But it helps us to describe what Scripture is telling us about who God is. So now we've got this picture of who God is, but it doesn't make it any easier to understand, does it? We've still got to grapple with this. How do you get three in one? And many people have tried to give us metaphors and pictures over the years to help us describe God. But unfortunately, these metaphors always fall short. They don't actually work in truly describing for us who God is. You might have heard uh, the metaphor of, of water, the three states of water. That, uh, God is like a trinity because he, he, water kind of helps describe it because it can be water, it can be ice, it can be steam, right? Maybe that's kind of a way of picturing three in one. But this metaphor falls short because you can't have a, a cup of water and it being steam and ice and water all at the same time, can you? Right? So that doesn't help us to understand. It doesn't help us to understand the baptism we hear You've got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all at once. So this metaphor doesn't work for us. How about the three-leaf clover? You might have heard that one. God is like uh, the three leaves of the clover, three in one. But this doesn't help us either because God is not three parts, like as if Jesus were one-third and the Holy Spirit were one-third and the Father were one-third. They're each a whole. So to to illustrate this, um, on the cross, only Jesus was on the cross. The Father and uh, the Holy Spirit were not on the cross. Jesus was on the cross. So a three-leaf clover doesn't help us to understand how that works, that each member of the Trinity retains their individuality. Same thing with an egg. A shell, a, a yolk, and the white. Three in one, maybe that helps us. But no, it's the same problem. God is not three parts. So what do we do? I mean, it's, it's kind of frustrating to say, okay, well, these, these metaphors, these pictures don't help us. And the reason why is because we can't begin with what we know to explain what we do not. There's nothing in nature that explains God because we simply never encountered anyone like him. We haven't. We never have. And so an uh, encouragement to you parents is if you're child is wrestling with the trinity or you wrestle with the trinity and you say okay god is one but he is three persons three in one and your child says well that's mind-boggling how does that make sense you can say i don't know but you know what that's who god has shown us who he is and it's okay that that's a little 
mysterious, a little hard to understand. And you know what? Actually, for me personally, one of the reasons why I love the doctrine of the Trinity is because we could not have made this stuff up. If we had begun with our own understanding and started from there and tried to make something up, this is not what we have come to. And to me, that says something a little bit about the truth of this. That God, if he really was this big, mysterious, other God, then how he would describe himself in some way would be hard to grasp, wouldn't it? That said, um, there is one metaphor that I want to use that I think that is really helpful. It's not necessarily a metaphor about who God is, but it's more about how God relates inside the Trinity, how the Father relates to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. This is a metaphor that actually I got from the early church. Um, they had a word, uh, perichoresis. Anybody ever heard the word perichoresis before? No, a few of you? Yeah, it's kind of a, a nerdy word, but um, the word perichoresis means to make room around, to make room around. And the word conjures up figuratively the image of dancing. So when we talk about the Trinity, the best way to think about it is as, as a, a, a unity, a triunity of persons dancing. When you see two individuals dancing, you, you know uh, that there's, a, there's kind of a give and take there. They have to make room around one another for them to retain their own individual person. But there also is a unity that when they move, they move as one. That they are, are coherent, that they are um, elegant and graceful in their movements. And this, I think, helps us to understand the Trinity. That there is this tri-unity that are kind of dancing with one another. That they are in perfect unity as in a dance. So I, we begin with this metaphor of dancing to enter into kind of a, a practical understanding of the Trinity. We begin to understand why it matters for us in our faith. But before I expand on that, I want to ask you a question. A kind of a metaphorical, heady kind of question. Was God ever lonely? Was God ever lonely? I need my helpers to come up here. You guys, can you come on up? So while they're coming up, think about this. God, before all creation, right? Before he ever created a human being or an angel, it was just God. Just God by himself. Was he lonely then? So I want one of you, who wants to, just one of you, who wants to be the one? bravest. Esther, you like being up front, don't you? Come on, I'll, I'll get me. So, stand here. Um, uh, a little bit further away. Because, stay back there. No, you, come here. That's really confusing. Okay, so, you, we're going to imagine that you are God. You up for that? No, you should say no, I'm not up for that. That's, that's a little more humility. Um, so you, we're going to imagine that you are God, right? And we're going to imagine that a hug is love, okay? Let's imagine you are by yourself. There's nobody else here. Who are you going to hug? N- nobody, right? Well, here's one option. You can hug yourself. Do that. Go ahead and hug yourself. Okay. So let's imagine that God is just one person. You're a solitary. And before anybody else came onto the scene, the only way that you could love was just to love yourself. That God would not create. That God would be a narcissistic God. But, here, come on over, guys. So now, you guys represent the members of the Trinity. And the way that you can hug is with a group hug. Can you guys do a group hug? Yay! All right, so this God 
has love overflowing. This God has a community and can show love with one another. Not only that, they can share love. Here, can I enter into your group hug? There we go. There we go. A little small, but I could get in there, right? Thank you, guys. You can go down. So was God lonely? No. God was never lonely because he was a unity, a community of persons who could actually love one another. You can't love when you're alone. And because he was never alone, because he had this perfect unity, perfect love, that love could overflow. And he could say, I desire to make, to create, and introduce others into this love. So in the beginning of the story, when God says, let us make man in our image, he makes a person, a a creation, as you would know it, who desires deeply to be love and to love. We as human beings, our very nature is to desire community and to desire love. And that's no accident. We are imaging our God in his very being, in his essence of who he is as a trinity who loves. Mind-blowing. I love it. But when we understand who God is and we understand uh, that he is this dancing unity, this kind of, uh, this perfect unity of, of three persons, we begin to understand why it matters for our faith. That to say God is love, as it says in 1 John 4, 8, is not just to talk about how he relates to us as human beings. It's to talk about who he is in its very essence as a tri-unity. That's important. And we can continue on to to, to say, of course, if God is a trinity, of course he is love. And not just any kind of love, but a selfless love that gives and gives and gives. Because that is who he's been from all eternity. And of course, if if God is a trinity, we would say that he is humble. Because scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, and the Father glorifies the Son. And there's this, this constant lowering between the persons of the Trinity for one another. And when Jesus comes onto the scene and empties himself for us, he is simply doing for us what the Trinity has been doing for all eternity. Humility. So, of course, when we say God is a Trinity, we say that God is peace. A solitary person does not need peace. But three, their peace happens, right? There in community is where peace happens. So God is peace. And of course when we say that God is a trinity, we say that he is beautiful. Because in a trinity is harmony. And every time you see a painting, and you see the colors matching and coming together just so, or a sunset with the colors just so, you see harmony and you see beauty. And every time you hear a piece of music and the notes And the sounds come together just so and it touches you. You hear harmony and you see, you hear beauty. And ultimately you point back to the Trinity. The source of that harmony. The source of all beauty. And indeed, the Trinity, our God, three in one, is the source of everything good we know. I could continue on to talk about the the ramifications of having a God who is three in one. Justice, mercy, all those things are who God is. In his very essence as a trinity. Because those are things that are acted out in community. Wonderful. We serve a wonderful God. A God who is three in one. 
and who his very essence is, all the things that we desire and hope for, all the good things of our life. I've tried my best to kind of lay out for you the scriptures uh, that describe who God is for us as a trinity. There's one in particular that kind of takes the cake. It's, it's a, a, a crowning scripture in this regard. You've probably heard it from the lips of Jesus himself. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Listen into this and listen for the Trinity. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you hear it? There's the Trinity right there. Baptizing you in the name, singular, one name, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Later today, we'll be baptizing a number of folks down at the harbor. And we will do that. We will baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in the baptism, you will see how God cleanses us. And when we baptize in the name, we do, we, that means we baptize in the character in the likeness of God. So when we baptize, you get to see an image of God cleansing us so that we can be a part of the love that he has shared within himself for all eternity. In baptism, we get an image of God welcoming people, us, into his family, enlarging his family so that there are more sons and daughters who can experience the life and love of the Trinity. Pretty amazing. Who is God? God is a Trinity. God is love. Let's pray to this God. Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. That you have revealed yourself as three in one. Lord, and sometimes we grapple with this. We don't fully understand it. But help us to receive it. Help us to know in that, in your, in your trinity, Lord, that you are love. That you are love for us, Lord. Reveal to us your Son, who, Lord, makes you known to us. Give us your Spirit, who walks with us day by day and empowers us to become more like you. Father, I thank you for the trinity. I thank you for yourself, how you have given yourself to us. Help us to know you day by day more and more. Help us to live in the life that you have. We ask in your name. Amen.